Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi there, it's Ayers on the Road. We um, have been on the road. We keep running out of gas. We can't figure oh out. At least goodness. we've been on the pavement. This well, we don't run out, but we, but we sure run gas out of the car in a hurry, don't we? We look down and the, ga- the gauge is empty. But we're when we say on the road, we're really being in the air. And we're headed down to Phoenix to meet with some parents. But these parents happen to be our own kids. Yeah, that's right. It's an exciting time. We're having a little reunion because our oldest grandson just returned from his missionary service in Taiwan, Taichung Mission. We're excited to see him. So excited. See how much he's grown physically, mentally, spiritually. I hope he hasn't grown as much as I did around his middle on his mission. I think he actually lost a little weight. He's a volleyball player. He's six <laughs> seven and was two fifteen when he left, but I think he's lost some weight. So Well that's the difference between going to Taiwan and going to New York City where I went on my first LDS mission and where we had a German cook in the mission home whose intent was to quote fatten us all up. And I think <laughs> and she did it me. really well. <laughs> Wow. For you listeners that don't have a clear vision of Mormon missions, um, we could give a brief overview. You go for two years. Uh, if you're a, a male, you go for a year and a half. If you're female, you do humanitarian work and service of all kinds, and you try to teach people about Christ and about families. And it's a marvelous thing. In fact, Linda, you know, there's a, there's a group in California, a nonprofit now, that's setting up a a program where it's it's totally secular, but it's actually modeled in a way after Mormon missions. Kids come out of high school, they're really not prepared for college, and mentally or emotionally, they don't know what they want to study, they're still kids, and the idea behind this program is send them out to do service for a year somewhere in the world, and let them learn a language, and let them develop a, an independence, and a and let them sort of grow in their own capacity as to what they want to do. And then they come home and start their university work. And it's it's almost a carbon copy of what LDS missionaries have been doing for 150 years. It's true. We um, Our children have all had the chance to serve as missionaries. And it really is interesting because when your kids become young adults, those envelopes in the mail are a big deal. First of all, the envelope that tells them whether or not they accept it or accepted at a college when they've spent a long time applying and so on. And the second envelope that comes in their lives is the one that assigns them to a mission. And they never know which mission they're going to serve in. And it's really, really exciting. That's an interesting juxtaposition. I've never thought of that, Linda. But the whole world, the whole developed world, understands the pressure and the anticipation that comes when you're waiting, whether you're accepted at a university or whether you get a scholarship and so on. And we, we always say to people, if it's a thin envelope, you're in trouble. If it's a thick envelope, you got in. <laughs> That's right. And we were always watching for those thick envelopes to come uh, with our kids. But even more dramatic and lesser known by the world at large is what you're mentioning, this, this other envelope where kids volunteer to go out as representatives of our church for a good long time, 18 months or two years, and don't really know where they'll be sent. And I think there are over 300 missions now, almost 400, ranging from 
third world <clears throat> locations in Africa to the place where I went on my first mission, New York City, and everything in between. Yeah, we, we have a daughter, actually, who got a mission call to go to Spain, and then she couldn't get a visa for a while. So she spent six months in Pocatello, Idaho. And actually, it was the most <laughs> productive for, part of her mission. She loved that. She like loved she it. She two missions that were pretty extreme. It might be interesting to listeners, since many of you sort of know us so well. By the way, we wish it was a more two-sided relationship. We wish we knew you as the listener as well as you are starting to know us. But our here's where our kids went. Our oldest daughter went to Bulgaria. Our second daughter went to Romania. You correct me if I miss any of this mm -hmm. up, honey. Our, our first son, our third child, went to England, went to London, where we ended up serving later as mission presidents. In other words, we were in charge of two or 300 of these young men and women as they did their service. Actually, it was earlier, just to correct. Yeah, we went before Josh, and then he, he went back to that same area and was mainly in the, the poor areas of London, Brixton, and other areas. And then came Sadie, who went to Spain. You right. Pick it up from there. And then Jonah, our middle son, back to London. And then Talmadge, who went to Brazil, Campinas. Then Noah. San Paulo, Brazil. Noah, who went to Chile, Santiago. Santiago. And then Eli, who went to Japan and spe still speaks fluent Japanese. And then our youngest daughter went back to England. And we were so worried when she was a kid to get her to England because we had spent time there and we loved it so much. So we killed ourselves to get her back for a summer program one year. And then she was called as a missionary there. And now she lives she's there. living there. <laughs> so you never know about these kids, where you their paths know. are going to lead. And you mentioned the languages. It is a fascinating thing that these Mormon missionaries come home fluent in, in sometimes very obscure languages, like having a daughter that speaks Bulgarian, another one that speaks Romanian. I mean, not, not obscure, but not commonly spoken around the world. And they speak them fluently because during their missionary service, that's pretty much all they speak. This, this son, Eli, who went to Japan, you know, you wouldn't, you would never be able to learn Japanese with, with the lack of any accent that, like he speaks it. If you'd learned it, uh, in this country as a second language, but when you learn it in a country where you're still young and your brain can still deal with this, a 19 year old, they, they learn to speak really, really good, almost accentless languages, which yeah. is quite a thing. And here comes Max coming home, our oldest grandson, fluent in Mandarin. Think how that language will serve him over the course of his life. Especially as he speaks to his dad, who also went to Taiwan and is now doing business in Taiwan and China, all over China. About half of his time, his business time is there. So, boy, you know, I guess we can start by saying you never know what the future is going to bring. And I'd also like to add that I have a different uh, a different take on life is short. I always like to say life is long. It's really long. There are a lot of things that happen in your life. And so, in other words, if you don't do something the first time, don't fret about it. It'll come around again. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah, sort of. But it really is true <laughs> that a lot happens in one's life. And so um, we're here to talk about. Um, what happens in your life and a little bit a little about, about what's, what's happened, happened in our in life. Ours. And, and sort of segueing from this thing about missions, when we spend a lot of our time, as many of your listeners know, these days, 
out giving speeches and making presentations and leading discussions on parenting and on marriage and on families. And um, we're going to tell you a little how that came to be today. But segueing it to the missions, one thing that's interesting, when we're with a, a large secular group, as we often are, of parents, people who want to do better with their families and so on, but who are approaching it from a kind of a practical level, no religion involved, just how do I be a better parent? One of the things that that they're very intrigued by, and we usually don't speak on this, this is usually in conversations before or after, uh, is this whole idea of Mormon missions. So many of them have children who are in high school and who are trying to make a decision as to where to go to college, what to study, and so on. And they're fascinated by this, what they view as a cultural thing, where our young people go out and spend two years so independent, completely independent, even to the point where they don't speak to their families except on Christmas and on Mother's Day, I guess it is, right? Mm -hmm. And and how would I ever replicate that with my child so that he could he or she could be ready to make a decision, you know, and to really get into college. And by the way, I'm a pretty good personal example of that. Before I, I went to a year of college before I went on my first mission to New York City. <laughs> and I was a mess. I mean, I, I, I thought I wanted to be a dentist and I'm nothing against dentistry. But, my, but in my case, the only reason I thought that is I had an uncle who was a dentist who I thought was a cool oh, that'd be guy. a good idea. So I'm um, taking chemistry and physics and I'm flunking them because I'm more interested in partying and playing basketball. And oh my gosh, my grade point average was below a 2.0. I got home from my missionary service I calculated I had to get straight A's for three years to get it up to a 3.6 so I could even apply to graduate school. So I'm just saying I was an example of how unprepared a lot of 18-year-olds are to really start into college. Anyway, that was a tangent, Linda, but it was sure a fun one. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit. But we also um, we just need to talk today about life and, and the things that are going on um, in our lives as well as yours. And I think one way to, I think it's important to us that you who listen often or who listen to Ayers on the Road as a podcast, the more you, the more personal we can be and the more we can share uh, with you, the, the better it'll be for, for this program and for your participation and your listening to it. Now, having said that, we're not suggesting for a minute that that our life is just like yours or yours is just like ours or yours is just like some other person's life. We're all different. Our families are all different. And that's why we always advocate that as you listen to these broadcasts or as you read parenting books or whatever, do it. I, I was going to say cynically. I don't really mean that, but do it with the clear vision that you are the expert on your children, not us. They're your children. They came to you for a reason. You understand them. Your situation is different. All we try to do on ours on the road and in other things we do is throw out ideas that we maybe got from someone else, recirculate them. But don't you think, Linda, that the best parents are the ones who listen to a lot of things, but they formulate their own strategy? Absolutely. In fact, uh, we did um, a meeting actually down at BYU with the MBA students and a few of the law students, married students uh, who have children. And at the end, one of the smart young women there, one of the wives mentioned how important it was to carve out your own path. 
Yeah, um, I, I thought, and then that led to the rest of the discussion because it is so important to decide what you believe, what you think, and carve your own path. And uh, I think that is really great advice. Yeah, because you have to base it on the, the needs and the characteristics and the personalities and the learning styles of your own children. So all we're saying is screen everything, have a filter, listen to ideas and say, that would work for for this child. That would not work for this child and build your own strategy. Yeah, I'm working on a book for grandmothers and I started by saying, boy, I'm talking to a lot of smart grandmothers. <laughs> and you probably would say to yourselves, uh, I could teach her a thing or two because, um, you know, there's just so much that is in your life that isn't in ours. So listen with a, uh, a grain of salt, a grain of salt. So we're going to take a break here in about a minute, and then when we come back, we're going to take you with us on our little journey, because we get asked this a lot. People say, well, you know, you're a Harvard MBA, and Linda, you're a music teacher. You're a violinist. How in the world did you two get to the point where you write parenting books and marriage books and family books and head the White House conference on on?" parents and children and, and go around the world speaking and presenting on family subjects. How did you get to where you are? Because this isn't the direction you originally were pointed in and they're absolutely right. So after a brief break, we'll, we'll tell you a little about our journey, partly because we think it'll help us to be more effective on this show in the future in sharing ideas that are usually not ours. They're usually something we've found from other parents that we want to pass on. Well, and that work for us. So we'll be back in just a minute. Hang on. And we're back um, getting ready to get on the road in the air. Um, we're leaving tomorrow, as we mentioned, and uh, we've got a really fun February ahead of us. We hope you have too, as we go for John to Valentine's Day again. We like to try to do this show from wherever we are. Um, we're going to be in Rome and in London later this spring, and we'll we'll hope we can get the equipment to work so we can broadcast right from those locations. But for now, we're taking a trip backwards and trying to answer some questions we've had from some of you about why we do what we do and how it came about. Let me just start out, Linda, and then throw it back to you. So, so imagine us. As a young couple, we're, we're just recently married and our honeymoon basically is our drive back to Boston for graduate school. And, and now, wait a minute. I have to tell a little story about our honeymoon first. Oh, is this because the hamburger story? It, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, this is not the hamburger story. Oh, good. Story. Don't tell that one. Oh, I have a hamburger story, too. But um, <laughs> this one was, uh, it made a big difference in our lives in the long run. And little did we know then, speaking mm -hmm. of life is long. Um, the effect it would have. Um, Richard blindfolded me. I'm from Montpelier, Idaho, and we we were married in Logan. Then we traveled across the mountain to Montpelier, Idaho, a little southeastern Idaho, little country town. And uh, we had a nice reception. 
And uh, I can remember that we had uh, brownies and fruit um, for... <laughs> Don't tell them more than they need to know, Linda. <laughs> but it was, I'm just saying, you know, it was low-key. And then afterwards, Richard blindfolded me, drove in circles for a while because he didn't want anyone, didn't want me to know where we were going on our honeymoon and drove and drove and drove. Finally, he stopped, pulled to a stop. You thought we were going to Sun Valley. I did. And I had no idea because he'd been driving in circles for so long where I was. So he uh, gets me out of the car with my blindfold on, picks me up, sits me on this piece of ground, takes my blindfold off, and I'm sitting in a field of sagebrush. And I'm like, whoa, we're camping just my dream for the honeymoon and he said no no we're not camping i mean look to the left and there was bear lake about 50 feet down or so and uh <laughs> mountains on the right and he said this is our land and i said uh what do you mean this is our land we have no money we have zero money you have debt <laughs> and he said, well, your mom gave me your insurance policy and I cashed it in for $1,200 and we bought this piece of land. <laughs> and I, with, <laughs> at that very moment, I thought, oh my gosh, this is what fabulous, except that we're going to be starving students for the next two years. <laughs> I, I wonder if we should have saved it for that. But anyway. Well, the only real point to that story, other than my impulsiveness, was that Bear Lake has ever since played a great role in our life and that of our family. Well, yeah, really huge. And so I'm so happy to get back to my roots and so on. But back but, to the storyline, okay? Well, no, the storyline is that life is long and you never <laughs> okay, know gotcha, what's gotcha. going to happen. You never know. That's true. But anyway, so we, we started our life in Boston, had our first child in between our two years of graduate school and moved to Washington, D.C. and started a consulting company, a management consulting and political consulting and I am a little embarrassed and somewhat chagrined to admit that I became highly, highly obsessed with politics. And we came back to Utah and ran Senator Garn's first campaign and got a lot of credit for getting him elected, which was interesting. And then I was going to run for Congress. And then out of the blue, we got a mission call, since we're speaking about missions today, to be the mission president in London. And we sort of uprooted everything, all of our plans, and went for three years to live in London. Now, the reason that's significant to what we're talking about today, and you embellish this if you want, Linda, but we, we realized during those three years of working with over 600 young men and women, most of whom were 19 or 20 years old, we began to realize that who they were, in other words, what their problems were, as well as what their capabilities and, and, and powerful abilities were, always stemmed from their families. I mean, almost always when we would interview them and try to get to the bottom of this issue or that, it came from their families. And gradually, we awakened during those three years to the idea I mean, it's not anything earth-shaking, but we, we began to feel so deeply that if we wanted to make a contribution in the world, the place to do it was not, at least not for us, was not in politics or in business, but rather in families. We wanted to, we came home with a deep desire to do whatever we could to strengthen families because we felt like that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where kids become who they're going to be. That's where that, that they really are the basic unit of society. And so we came home and started writing parenting books. But I quickly add 
not as scientists, not as behavioral scientists, but as essentially uh, people who were trying to apply management principles to a family. And strangely enough, those books caught on and sold. And before we knew it, we had to make a choice between whether we wanted to be full-time authors and speakers or whether we wanted to continue to move along with our management consulting career. Well, you you didn't mention that. Well, you sort of indicated it took us a long time to figure that out. And I think right. that speaking of long, uh, it really did take a long time. And you have to mention that you ran for governor and oh, I kept getting sucked back towards politics. But right. but our life was really families from that time on. And I just think? have to say how happy I am that you lost. We probably <laughs> some people listening there helped us during that campaign. And it was really fun. And people were so gracious and great to help. But in the end, we weren't made for politics. So um, it really was the path that we were supposed to take. And sometimes you have to take, you know, do some false starts to figure that out. Well, and, and what we found, and this is true of a lot of people as they look back over their lives as to how things happened, it seems a little serendipity or a little lucky, it would even be maybe a better word, that we happen to be writing about things that were so relevant to us at the moment. Like, what do you teach young children? Well, you try to teach them joy. You, you don't worry about responsibility until they're a little older. So we write a book called Teaching Your Children Joy, and people... It's new, it's different, and people bought it, and it becomes a bestseller. And then we write teaching responsibility for kids who are a little older. And it's it was relevant to us, because that's the age our kids were. And we were trying to express things that we had learned and that we wanted to share. And then, as Linda likes to tell, uh, the whole idea of helping families took a big up, uptick when we wrote a book called Teaching Your Children Values, which because of Oprah and Donahue and the Today Show and 60 Minutes and a lot of other media exposure became a New York Times number one bestseller. And suddenly we had an audience. Suddenly we had uh, people who wanted us to come to locations around the world to talk about families. Actually, it was mostly Oprah. We have to admit it. I well, mean, she was a big part she of. She was but amazing. Don't Donna, no, of course, the yeah, show. they all helped. But I'll tell you, on our way to Chicago to do that show with six of our nine kids, three of them were two overseas, two on missions actually, and one in in uh, the wet East Coast. Uh, actually, I think all three of them were out. But anyway. We really, um, I wondered on the way, who's, who, I'd seen Oprah maybe twice in my life. And I said, who stays home and watches TV in the afternoons? And then. 21 million people. We, <laughs> when I found that out, I didn't get a wink of sleep that night because we were putting two kids on that stand. And I didn't know they were going to put the kids on the stand. We put them on that stand. Two kids that sat by each other had not gone a whole hour without having a fight in their whole lives. I mean, I was so petrified. We've told that story before, but it was it worked out to be a launching pad. And, and it's, instead of then, instead of writing to, you know, thousands of people, we were writing to millions of people. And it, it made us feel, uh, I, I remember, Linda, feeling a great deal of concern that we – you know, in fact, that's, I think, when we began positioning ourselves to say we're not parenting experts. We're not, uh, we don't think there is such a thing as a parenting expert because each, back to the theme of earlier, each family is different and 
you have to sort out what works. But what we are is discussion starters. What we are is sharers of ideas. What we are is people who want to celebrate commitment and popularize parenting and validate values. And, and you know, we want to be a voice along with a lot of other great voices to say the family lifestyle is the best lifestyle. The commitments of family are the way to be, they're, they're the path to happiness. And our greatest stewardship is our children. And, and if we focus on that and if we work at it, We'll, we'll make their lives happier. We'll make our lives happier. You know, there is so much goodness in the world. We just had a discussion a couple of weeks ago with some friends, and, and one friend mentioned how interesting it is that um, lifestyle is kind of like a funnel. Didn't you love that? Oh, I thought I that was like so that. great. I like it, yeah. Because the bottom of the funnel is kind of a small place. You know, um, how would you describe it? Well, it's people who are taking the wrong road. I mean, she was basically saying that evil or mistakes tend to start becoming almost stereotyped and they all start looking the same. But but goodness is something that flourishes and families flourish. It goes out it like goes a megaphone, like a megaphone. I mean, diversity, and power. Is, there are so many good things in the world. So often all we hear on the news is the bad stuff. And they try to have an upbeat article, you know, at the end of the it's 5.30 news, but and they do, and it's great. They show what the good things. But there is just so much goodness in the world that um, is tapped into by all the goodness and light that we're surrounded by. And sometimes it's hard to lose track of that because there's so much hard. Yeah, that's really life. true. And, and that brings me, that brings us to, to a very important point we want to make as we move toward the conclusion of today's show. Um we had this wonderful sort of golden era in our lives when we were writing books that were bestsellers and when we were and, and, and it began this process of speaking invitations and so on, which continues to this day. But I have to be honest and tell you about a great concern we have right now. This was voiced by a fellow I was talking to the other day. He said, you know, you and Linda reached a whole generation of parents who are now grandparents. And then you reached another generation of parents who were their children, who were involved in joy school and who grew up reading your books and so on. But he said, there's a new generation now called the millennials, and you are missing that generation because they don't go to the bookstore and buy books. They get their information online and on social media. And that was a little while ago. And that's what actually led us to where we are now. And this is sort of the third generation of parents we're trying to reach, and we're trying to do it through social media. Even though we are neophytes, we need a lot of help. We have people helping us with our Facebook page, with our Instagram page, but we're starting to find that when we can take, I should back up a little and say that the, the situation we're in now is that we've got a lot of content. We've written 600 newspaper articles. We've done Three, near, we're approaching 300 radio or podcasts. And how do we get those out to a new generation? And what we're trying to do is do it through social media. So I invite you who are listening today to go on byuradio.org and go to our show and you'll find a list of websites and social media sites 
where we are now trying to take the materials we've discovered on parenting and marriage and families over the last 30 years and update it and make it available in electronic form and social media form to this new generation of parents, new generation of families. And so go there and look. All you got to do is click and you'll get to our Facebook page and our Instagram page. And then you decide whether that's something you want to share with your children or with your friends or with your associates. Or with yourself. If you're a millennial listening in, our time is up. But we have enjoyed uh, being with you today. We appreciate what you are doing to make the world a better place. And we will see you again next time on Ayers on the Road. See you then. 